0: Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Circe podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and inspires you. Before we get into that message, we want to remind you about just a couple of things. First off, if you'd like to get connected to what God is doing here at the Circe campus, text the word SEARCY to 88000 for more information about what's going on here at our local campus. And you can give online there as well. You can also get connected to life groups and so much more just by texting Cersei to 88000. Now get your Bible apps ready and prepare to hear a great word today. Last week, if you were not here, we started a short January series that I've simply entitled What's Missing? And the heart behind this short series is simply this. We were looking at the book of Acts. We'll be doing that again this morning and just looking at the early days of the New Testament church, and then basically what's happened over the past two thousand years and in getting into the postmodern church, and trying to see what's happened, like what what have have we missed? what what piece is no longer in place when we look at the pattern found in Acts two, and then come back now to how we are gathered in this place this morning. So I started last week talking about the effectiveness of the postmodern church. We talked about how we can have a place, we can have a plan, we can even go through a pandemic, uh, but none of that really justifies, constitutes, reinforces our ability to be effective as a church. The bottom line on that message last week was simple. It was just to say that the effectiveness of the church is found most when a church is saturated in the presence of God. Where God is, His people change. His people look at themselves, and they see what's missing in my life. When we're in the presence of God, we have this incredible ability to say, I can do something beyond myself because God is with me. And I think now more than ever before in our country, at least in, in my uh, lifetime and a lot of yours, is that um, we need a church that can have a strong sense of effectiveness, not only internally, but in our community to continue to be a, a, a light, to continue to meet where there is is power, transformational power a, a, among us but we need effectiveness. So today I want to build off of that thought. And I'm going I want to continue to talk about what's missing. So let's go again to Acts chapter 2 verse 40. If you've got your Bible or you version or you just want to watch on the screen, and I want to look again at this daily pattern that was practiced by our forefathers. And so let's go to verse 40. This is Peter speaking to the crowd. He says this. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now, we talked about last week how the context is still there for us. That there is corruption in our world, in our generation, even in our country. And we can still heed this warning 2,000 years later to save ourselves from that or separate ourselves from it. And then he goes on in verse 41. And he says, those who accepted his message were baptized About 3,000 were added added to their number that day. And we brought out last week about how this became something that happened in a 24-hour period of time. This was not a weekly weekend service. This was not a monthly gathering. This was not a yearly Easter service. These guys were living out their faith on a daily basis. And they were building it around this pattern found in verse 42. They devoted themselves to four things. The apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and we talked about how this means friendship. To the breaking of bread, this was not a formal communion. This was food, meals. And then to prayer, okay? So teaching prayer, food and fellowship, or friendship. So at some point in every day, these new believers were getting together having a meal, hanging out, and at some point they were talking about what they had heard directly or indirectly taught from Jesus or the apostles and saying, let's, let's see what we can dive into here. Nobody had a Bible in print. Um, nobody had a scroll. This was all firsthand knowledge of what God was doing in this early church, but they did it on a daily basis. So verse 44 All the believers were together, had everything in common. Verse 45, they raised the bar. says they sold property and possessions, gave them to anyone in need. Here's this word again. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread, ate together, had glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Okay? So this 24-hour cycle or theme uh, was strong. This was not seen, church was not seen as something you did. It was seen as something you are. We are the body of Christ in action. And this early church had it. Okay? So they fully understood this is about us. It's not about a temple. It's not about A certain experience. This is about us living our daily lives as Jesus would have us do. So today I want to talk about a word. Like last week I talked about effectiveness and I want to talk about this word generosity. And nine times out of ten when we talk about generosity, you know, you automatically, whoa, uh, put put the brakes on. Uh, Preacher's going to talk about money today. And so we shouldn't, you know, really tune in as well. But listen, nine times out of ten when we talk about this, we talk about classical words like tithing or giving or resourcing, etc. But today I want to frame this out and I want to give you a lot of word reminding us that following Jesus means to have a lifestyle of generosity in all things. And it doesn't necessarily just mean a pocketbook. It can mean a giftedness. It can mean wisdom. It can mean friendship. There's a lot of things that we can be generous with that's not just money. And I hope to communicate that well this morning. So I want to start by talking about two really big truths, and I want to give these to you very quickly, just to, just to build a foundation for this talk. There are two big truths. Money, resource, however whatever words you want to give it, can be a blessing to you and other people. Um, Or it can be a nightmare. If you don't wield it correctly, money can almost come off as a curse. Having having resource, having something that that you can have in your hand to make decisions with can be a curse if we don't look at it through a biblical lens. And the second thing is very good news, and I want you to understand a worldview. Sometimes it's easy for us to have... A, a, a bubble mentality where we're just looking at us and a few families that we live life with and we think that that's what the whole world is like. But I want to remind us from a worldview that we're all rich. Everybody in this room today, you are rich. And here's, here's how. Let me, let me, let me talk, talk this out. Again, looking through a worldview, if you have a car, you are rich. If you have a house... You're rich. If you have a house for your car, you are rich. If you have ever bought your dog a sweater, you are rich. If you have to rent a storage unit to keep your extra stuff in, you are rich. If you water your lawn, if you need to lose weight, if you get your teeth cleaned, you are rich. If you have a salon, a massage therapist, or a lawn company in your contact list, you are rich. If this morning you went anywhere and paid five bucks for a cup of coffee, you are rich. And so looking at this topic of generosity through a world view, I want us to go to 1 Timothy and I want us to adhere this teaching to our our lives. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 17 and 18. He says, teach those who are rich not to be proud, not to trust in their money. Their trust should be in God. And verse 18 comes with some measurability of that. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Now watch this last statement. Always being ready to share with others. Now again, this is not just about dollars and cents. This is about what you have to offer in terms of generosity. It could be a skill set. Some of, of, of you may say, well, you know what? I don't have monetary wealth, but I can do XYZ. I can do this. I can do that. I can serve. I can volunteer. And so when we look at what we can give, not only each other, but our community, we have to look at that through generosity. And it says, always being ready to share with others. This this phrase, always be ready, the imagery that kind of comes with that is like a football team that's ready to take the field. Like they are mentally prepped. They are physically and mentally prepared for what's on the other side of this tunnel. And it's almost like every day, this is a challenge for us to start our day. You go through your morning routine. And then you look at your life and you almost pray this prayer to get this mental set is God, whatever is on the other side of my garage door, I want to be used by you today to bless somebody's life. That may come in the form of a dollar bill, it may come in the form of wisdom, it may come in the form of kindness, it may, it may come in the form of friendship. It may come with me putting my hands on something and helping somebody do something that they don't have the skill set or wherewithal to get it done, but I do. Whatever it is, I want to be ready to be generous and share that with other people. Now, let me be clear. Jesus never taught that being rich was evil. The Bible is actually full, chocked full of rich people. Who put God first, who served him well? Abraham, Job, David, Solomon, all were rich, all were generous. But rich people, which we've established as all of us, have a biblical mandate to be responsible with the giftedness in our own lives. What we have, what we can contribute. Another teaching, phrase this out in terms of generosity, is to talk about the body of Christ. Being just like a physical body. That somebody had to be a thumb. Somebody had to be legs. Somebody has to be a heart. Somebody has to be vision. Somebody has to be able to hear. And you put us all together and this beautiful body is formed. Why? Because all the pieces come together to comprise something very, very special because of the intentionality of our generosity. Meaning this. I'm willing to do and give and participate in whatever God has for me on a daily basis for the purpose of serving His people. So when we look at this mandate to be responsible, you can find this throughout Scripture. Luke chapter 12 says, For everyone who has been given much, much will be required. A lot of times this word required, we look at it almost through the lens of disdain. We go, I don't, I, don't, I don't like this word require, like you're requiring me to, 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 to do something. But really the heart behind this phrasing is this, for everyone who has been given much is able to do much. And so with that which we have, we can make a major impact, not only in this building, on the lives of our children or each other during life groups or times of prayer, but as we, from the overflow, reach a community and we help those around us. Watch 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 if you're taking notes. This comes with a a warning. People who long to be rich, he says, fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Okay? This word plunge, we rarely use it any longer, but the imagery here is this, to run off a cliff. It's like I'm, I'm going along with, with my life, and I fall off a cliff, I plunge to death. He's saying this, this is what can happen. It's sudden, it's unexpected, and you can be doing your own thing, living your own life, and fall into temptation or a trap, make a foolish or harmful decision, and suddenly your life is off a cliff. He said that's what it can be like when you chase wealth. And then he goes on to say the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And he spills this. And some people, he says, craving money have wandered far from true faith and pierced themselves with many arrows. Now, this is a key to this puzzle. Because he's saying at one point... We were all excited about generosity and we, we had it framed out well and we had, we had the guardrails up about it. And over time, slowly, slowly, we made this segue into a life that started craving stuff and money and what I can do with it. And he says, because of that, we wandered from true faith. What he's saying is this, these people were believers, And fell into this money-craving mentality and lost true faith. And then pierced themselves with many arrows. The way we, we would say, shot themselves in the foot. Okay? Created havoc in their own lives. People who were following Jesus, people like you, people like me, suddenly plunged. The layman's explanation of 1 Timothy 6 is this, money is addictive. And unfortunately, in our culture, it dictates a lot of social status. Many times that drives um, our need, our basic psychological need for acceptance. Because of this, we have a crisis in America. And because of that, we have a crisis in our church. And that is in a lot of people. And when I say church, I mean capital C, kingdom. We have a lot of people off course, derailed, including believers. Now, I'm gonna give you some insight for just a moment, and I'm only doing this because I wanna shake us up just a tad and give us a reality of what this means when, when we have slowly started craving things and have left true faith. So when I say what's missing between the New Testament church and the postmodern church, what happened between Acts 2 and right now where we sit in January 2021, what's missing there? Let me show you. This is really close to home. Americans right now owe $915 billion on credit cards. That was a great Christmas, okay? $915 $915 billion on, on credit cards. 50% of Americans, one in two, have no savings. None. Live paycheck to paycheck. Nothing put back for an emergency. If there was an emergency, it would be put on credit. One in two. There are 50,000 storage companies in America that total two percent 3 billion square feet of space since 1980 offsite storage units have become the number one real estate investment in America it's booming and in that 2.3 billion square feet what this means is this okay now some of you're going to go that's not true look look it up 2.3 billion square feet this means that Every American could stand all at the same time in a storage unit. It'd be tight. There'd be some words exchanged that weren't generous. But it could be done. All of us crammed into storage units. This one is sad right here. And it's affected a lot of us even in this room. One in six Americans over the age of 18 have student loan debt. That student loan debt is now totaling one and a half dollars trillion dollars now you think about this you think about billions of dollars in credit zero savings trillion dollars in student loan debt and we wonder why we're not moving ministry forward collectively capital c large k kingdom however you want to frame it why are we not planting churches life-giving churches why are we not fueling the lives of missionaries on the front lines of foreign countries? parachurch organizations that are fueling and helping resource the, the local body. Why are every single one of them struggling because we're not poised to be generous? I don't know um, where you are in life, and I'm not here to pry and upset anybody, but I do remember this. When we were in our in our twenties, maybe I'm gonna, for the sake of context, let's say when Robbie and I first got married, you know, you you don't have you, the words broke. The words broke that I'm looking for. <laughs> You're broke. <laughs> but I remember we we would go to church, and occasionally the church that we were going to, they had a missionary come once or twice a year, and they would share passion about their their ministry and what was going on, and and. You really want to give, but you just couldn't. It was like you got to choose between your essentials and helping this missionary. And you want to, and I get it. Sometimes you're not poised with generosity in terms of finance, but generosity is not just about a dollar. Again, it's about a skill, an ability, an experience that can be shared with somebody else, and that's still just as generous. But the reason we can't seem to move the church forward is because we are totally encasing ourselves with stuff. The reason we don't see daily generosity is because we're in a daily race to have more, get more, collect more, spend more on ourselves, so simply put, our generosity has been aimed inward, and everything about the kingdom that should be on the forefront is about a second thought. This is what 's missing between Acts chapter two and this morning is that a lot of times the mentality is you know if if I got to get all this stuff and once I get all this stuff and I feel like I 'm I'm, I'm in the right place. Then I'll bless somebody else. Let me talk a few minutes about how we can become more generous both inside and outside the church. The first thing is this. Choose minimalism over materialism. Okay, Minimalism over materialism. Now, you guys can laugh about this if you want. I'm just, I'm just sharing with you something personal to emphasize a point. Every January... Robbie and I go through our entire home. Every drawer, every cabinet, every piece of clothing, every sock, every spoon gets our attention. We basically answer one simple question Is this still useful to us? And depending upon the answer, we do one of four things we either donate it, sell it, trash it, or keep it every year, every January. Now when we first started this, you know, we would open a kitchen drawer and we would go, why, why do we have 18 spatulas? Like how many eggs can we cook at one time? And we'd go through that, you know, or you'd go through your socks and you'd realize I've got 940 socks, but I've only got six pair. So I can either be that weird guy or I can get rid of some socks. And we start, you know, doing this. Now, I, I'm just bringing this up to say the reason this has been beneficial to us is because somehow, in some mental and spiritual way, ridding our lives of what is not useful makes room for us to be able to have room for things that really matter. More peace, more joy, deeper rest, and the ability to look outward instead of going, where did all this come from and what am I supposed to do with it? When we live our lives through a biblical lens, it will become more and more natural for us to be able to choose people over choosing a product. That suddenly the people around us, the people of God, the church of God, what God wants to do in our postmodern church in this very small sliver of time that you and I get to participate in the bigger story We're going, how do you want me to apply my life to that? In Acts 20, they are reminiscing about the words of Jesus, and they say, listen, he said it was better to give than to receive. Again, oftentimes in church, we hammer down on that when it comes to classical words like like tithing. But let me back up a little bit. We don't know the fullness of this scripture. We really don't. All we know is that it's better. We don't know what that means. We may not know until we get to heaven the full unveiling of what this verse means. That in somehow you gave to somebody and it changed their life and they went impacted somebody else's life. Who impacted, who impacted, who impacted. And you never know the first domino that you shoved over how it affected the last one that fell. But we know it's better. And we just have to trust it. That it's better when we are being generous. The second thing is this. We have to choose contentment over comparison. Now this is a big one in the world in which, which we live because we're constantly under somebody's microscope. We're constantly putting our life out there to be, be critiqued. We're putting out our pictures. We're putting out our stories. We're posting our opinions. And people are responding with a thumbs up, with a heart, with a little thing hugging a heart. Uh, we got all kinds of ways to say, I like it, I don't like it. And, and we're just constantly under this microscope of comparison. And what's sad is now, we're now in a generation that doesn't know what that is like tonight be this way. Sometimes it really blows my mind. I don't know where you were, but I was 22 when I got a cell phone. And it was the size of this MacBook. We, I lived in a day where you carried a pager and didn't have to be a doctor. Come on, y'all. Is anybody in the house today? You know, you had these little, little codes for, you know, Walmart and whatever, you know, look down, oh, it's there. it's their Walmart. How do how, how you know? Well, it's got the number 10, that's Walmart. How cheesy is that? There's a psychological trap for every person in this room, and it sounds just like, like this. I need what they have, or I can never be who they are. When we look at at our lives through a social media platform, or we look at at, at the culture through any media platform. We look and we say, I like their successes, so therefore my life, if in some way I could mirror my life like theirs, then maybe I could tap into their lifetime experiences or achievements or participate somehow in their giftedness. And we trick ourselves into saying that if if I drive that or wear that or live there, then somehow I'm going to be as smart as they are or gifted or have similar experiences as as they have. Now listen, I I am pro-mentorship. I am pro-modeling. I'm pro-getting around anybody you can who's ahead of you in life. But you've got to own who you are at some point and be okay with that. This is my story. And this is what my giftedness is. And I can be who the Lord called me to be and be proud of that and be passionate about what my life looks like as I look at your story and celebrate the differences between the two of us. But there is a fear. This fear is getting left behind, commonly known as the fear of missing out. Marketing geniuses have tapped into this, and they want to make sure that we want the latest and greatest of technology or upgrades or luxuries. And it's somewhere in this race to get the next thing that we leave out the best thing, which is to appreciate what we have and to appreciate someone else in the process. Listen, you may be that person here this morning, and again, I'm not trying to be crass, but I am trying to dial this in just a tad. You may be that person who struggles with this, with comparison, because you've always struggled to get your affirmation from other people rather than from the Father. So you're always looking for someone to tell you how great you did, or give you a pat on the back, or notice your work, or so on. You crave the affirmation, and that's fine. It's a basic need. But we can get this from the father who will with great love and care continue to affirm us as his child as he unveils one patient step at a time in front of us. Don't look for someone else to give you the affirmation. Okay? Now, here here we go. A little bit more crass. There may be some of you this morning. Because this is, this is a good example. It happens all the time. And you've got someone in your life who you started with angst against and now you have spun that angst into wanting their affirmation. Meaning this. Maybe you had a parent who wasn't very kind to you. Maybe they never told you ever that they loved you, were proud of you, valued the person you grew up to be. And that didn't settle well with you. But now as an adult, there's something in you that wants that so bad that you are driving your life at speeds that you cannot control because you seek their affirmation. Maybe you are here today and you went through a terrible divorce. And now somehow in your life, you are comparing your life to your ex's life because you want to make sure that you're one up. You want to make sure you're living better. You want to make sure you're gifting the kids better. You want to make sure that that as you look comparatively through a societal lens that you are better. You want them to in some way say, you got me. You did it. I messed up. I let a good thing go. We're wanting that. Let Let me challenge you with this. Let 2021 be the year that you let go of things and of people that let go of you a long time ago. Let this be the moment, the season, the year for you that you find yourself in a month from now, six months from here, uh, a, a year from now, starting a new year going, this was the year that I let people go who had let go of me a long time ago. I'm no, I'm no more emotionally, psychologically, or spiritually tied to those people that I need to affirm me because I am going to choose contentment over comparison. I'm no longer going to look at my life as to say, I wonder what they think about me. Let me me move on. The third and final is this. Choose time over your tight schedule. All right? Time is economical. And you have to budget it just like you do a buck. It's got to be something that you spend well. And if I'm really going to bless the lives of other people, I've got to make room for opportunities as they present themselves to me. I used to take a lot of pride, and sometimes I probably still do, on being busy. But I don't mean the healthy, responsible busy. I mean the non-stop, thinking, unhealthy, and obsessive kind of busy. Somehow I saw that. It, I took pride in it, like, like the kind of pride that becomes a sin. Like, does everybody see how hard I'm working? I wonder if, if Robbie realizes I you know, did a 16-hour today. I wonder if my family knows. Somehow in me, this became identity. Go, 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 go. Even when when you're home, you're you're not there. You're thinking about something else. You're driving something else. You're thinking about the next thing. You're thinking about how how forward uh, momentum can get started in something else. Constant thought life, constantly. You have this obsessive kind of busy going on. Craig Rochelle said this great quote last week. He said, the best way to increase your focus is to decrease your distraction. And to do that, you're going to have to identify a distraction. What is in your life that is stopping you from being generous or having the time to pause and realize the need right in front of you? I had to make a, a few adjustments. Here are a few of mine. Okay? Now, I'm not winning in all these, but I'm at least aware of them. I have to stop hovering over my phone when I'm off. You know what I'm talking about. The first thing we do in the morning is check, check our phone. You, you have one of two, two choices. You're either going to check it in the bed or in the bathroom. You gotta, but you're going to check it. I've got to limit how much time I think about Sunday when it's Saturday i got to stop trying to please everybody. My personality has, has a streak of that. I like when people are happy. I want them to be happy. If you attend our church, I want you to be happy with it. I want there to be something here that you love. And I take it personal. But i got to stop trying to please everybody. i got to stop trying to change people. You know what what sin that that is? And I know I'm not the only one in here that struggles with it. You know what sin it is when you think you can change somebody? It's pride. You think you are so big or so gifted or so whatever that you think you can actually produce change in somebody's life. Only the Father has transformational change ability. Now, I will preach and teach, and in some way, that's generosity. But the Father can change your life, and that's His generosity if we really want to bless other people, if we really want to bless this church, i got to choose time that I can flex, time that I can be present with those who need me. So when I choose minimalism, when I choose to be content, when I choose time, it makes room for me to see the needs of those around me. And we struggle sometimes to go, Kevin, you know, if, if you're not talking about me trying to produce more money to give to the church, like if you're not talking classically about tithing or something, what are you talking about? I'm talking about random acts of kindness? Prayer? People love to know that they're being prayed for. I know that because I love knowing that. I love when I get random texts Hey, thinking about your family today? Praying over you? That can make my whole day. That was somebody being generous. Sometimes I'm in line at Starbucks. I look behind me. Be a car. And I think, I'm going to pay for their their drink. So I look in the rear view again to make sure there's not five adults ordering. I'm like, people are in the car back there. I think that's got five. Can I pay for the car behind the car that's behind me? (laughs) Random acts of kindness. Five words I learned a long time ago from Andy Stanley. Greatest, one of the greatest communicators ever. He said, if we can get these five words in our heart, how can I help you? It changes friendships. It changes marriages. It changes our relationships with our kids. How can I help you? Spouses having a hard time. How, how can I help you? When you're having coffee with a friend, they're just, I mean, vomiting all the things going wrong in their life and then you suddenly butt in and say, hey, how can I help you? How can I do this? Our waiters and waitresses that serve us on a daily basis, hey, how, how can I help you? Can I pray with you? The people we work with, how can I help you? The people we're in life groups with, how can I help you? This can change our lives and bring us back into balance to what it means to be a truer version of a church that's moving forward in word and in worship and wanting His presence. But coming in as people who have filled ourselves all week gorged ourselves on everything we want it's very difficult to come in and say well now I'm going to surrender my life to Christ and I'm going to worship and take communion and hear a message about living for Jesus but I've done nothing on the daily to represent that I told the 9 o'clock service this I'm going to tell you I'm going to end that's why I'm closing this because it will make some of you feel very good do you know that it, it's, it's no longer and you, you can walk out of here and totally disagree with this. In my opinion, it's no longer to where we walk into places of business and we got, you know, a big old Bible under our arm and we're like, hey, hey, when, when you got time, I'd, I'd like to show you something in, in John chapter 11. Just when you got a minute. This used to be a way we would, we would witness to people church I grew up in gave tracks everywhere and they were terrible. I had like a grim reaper on it. You're going to hell. You know, God loves you. God bless you. Read this just before bed. Read it to your kids. They'll love it. But you know what? I think the best way of sharing Jesus is to be generous. I do. I think it is the best way to open a door to a conversation is, is to help somebody do something that's important to them. And it may not be a handout. It may be a help, help, help them up. Like, let, let me help you off the ground. Whatever it is, I pray we get it this year. I pray we all become infected by it. That I look at our community and everything we do on a daily basis and we have stories of generosity to share with each other as we pray, are taught, have meals together, and hang out. Somewhere in that, we've got a story of generosity, and it's all of our stories. Okay? God, I love you for our people. I thank you for.